0: in and get settled so um hello everyone welcome I'm Deb Hastings I'm the director of continuing nursing education here at Dartmouth Hitchcock we're thrilled to see so many of you here and online who I can't see but I know you're there Um, and so thank you and thank you all of you who are not DH people for joining us we have people who have come from way in the corner of Massachusetts right and um, way in the corner of Vermont (laughs) And, and, and even nearby so thank you for coming this is sort of a special session of Grand Rounds. We have a, one of our favorite speakers in the whole wide world here. So, But before I get to that, um, let me just do what I have to do here in terms of announcements. So, um, uh, after the pro- so after the program, you're going to receive an email from us with a link to an online evaluation. And we would really appreciate it if you could um, be sure to uh, complete that evaluation and send it to us because your input is really important to us as we go about planning conferences. And also, it's now important for you to do that because it's how you receive CE credit. So um, be sure that you complete that evaluation form and send that to us. Um, You must be sure that you've signed in in order um, to get your credit, and you need to attend at least 80% of this program to receive that credit. For folks who are viewing online, um, if you do have any questions during the presentation, you can email them to Judy Langhans, who's here with us in the room, and um, she will share those questions with our presenter. And in order to contact Judy, her email is judith.m, as in May, Langhans, Langhans, at hitchcock.org. Um, you also need to let her know that you attended by sending her your name, degree, and zip code. Uh, In order to access your online transcripts, um, you can contact Judy directly and she will help you do that. So the other thing we want you to know is that neither our speaker nor any members of the planning committee have identified a conflict of interest regarding this um, presentation. Uh, No one has a relationship with a commercial entity and no one refused to disclose. So with that, I want to introduce our speaker. Our speaker Maria Easy Stilson. I, I always forget your name is Maria because you're Easy Stilson, and that's really her name. And I don't know if you're going to talk a little bit about that, so I'll let will let that go. But Easy is an OR nurse, and she has she's one of our favorite speakers for our perioperative nursing conference that we do every other year. Um, we keep bringing her back, bringing her back, and every time I introduce her, I always say, "Back by popular demand." Um, but Easy comes to us from Missouri. I won't go into a lot of her. Carry off background, but she's an <laughs> OR nurse, and um, she's actually our endnote presenter for our, our big conference. It starts this afternoon and ends tomorrow uh, afternoon. Um, so her expertise is OR, but I think she has a soft spot in her heart for new grads, maybe student nurses, people new to the profession who are trying to find their way through the maze. I don't know how else to describe it, the, you can probably de- describe it better than I can, the... The complexity of today's nursing environment, a healthcare environment. So, um, I really don't know what she's going to talk about, but I think it's going to be fun. I I know it's going to be a surprise. She didn't want to share any of her um, stuff with us, so I know it's going to be a surprise, and that's why I'm front and center. So, without further ado, please join me in welcoming Easy Stilson.
1: She makes me sound better than I am. So, my name is Easy Stilson. I know that's a little strange. When I was born, my parents were Bulgarian, and they wanted to name me Marisa Ivana-Mittal. Well, they shortened that in- instantly to Easy, and the doctor said, you can't name her Marisa. Then we'll call her Easy. So, being polite, my parents named me Marisa, Mer- Maria. They started calling me Easy from day one. I had no idea there was anything wrong with that name until I was 16. And I started dating Chucky. And parents said, you can date Chucky, but you can't marry him. His last name was Lay.
0: <laughs> so I married
1: Steve, and life is good. I wanted to do this presentation because after I left the OR, and yes, I did leave the OR after many years, I went into education, and my job was nurse residency and new nurses. So I learned all the struggles that new nurses go through out So And they don't teach us the right stuff in school. They teach us all the book learning stuff and about our patient, but they don't teach us how to survive out there in that working environment. So that's what, what this talk's basically about. And we'll see how the uh, I can handle this. Maybe I need another lesson. Oh, maybe that. Uh, no. I need a lesson. Time out. <laughs> walk away too far and it disengaged. Well, she's working on that. I'm just going to click. Oh, she got it. Now, what do I press? This is forward, right here. Right there on that thing. Okay. I'm going to try this again. Now, we have objectives. You can totally ignore these things because they're only to get a CEU, we so don't really care. So, I want to talk about job shock. When you start a new job, or when you change jobs, you go through the phases of the job shop. And the first one is the honeymoon stage. And you guys over here, you know it. It's like, I got out of school. Somebody hired me. They <laughs> like me. They're paying me to do what I learned to do. It's exciting. It's a fun stage. It doesn't last. Next comes irritability and hostility. You know you're there when everybody ticks you off. So the new, when you were the new nurse, And somebody came up and said, can I help you? Is there anything I can do to help you catch up? And you thought, oh, they love me. They're so nice to me. Now somebody comes up and says, hey, can I help you anything you need to do? You think, they don't think I know what I'm doing? Think I can't handle my own patients? What's up with that? Everything ticks you off. Hang on, guys. This is where job hoppers come from. Because they hit this stage and they want to go back to the, oh, everything's wonderful honeymoon stage. Hang on, because the next stage is the adjustment stage which is wonderful. You figure out what you're doing, how to do it, where you're at, and then finally you're in acceptance. It's like, oh yeah, this is my job. This is who I am. This is where I work. It's fun, but beware. And then in the workplace, they never tell you about this. There are hidden rules. No nursing school ever taught you about that. But in each workplace there is something you don't know that everybody else knows. And you're not going to find out about the hidden rules until you break them. And then you're in trouble. One of the hidden rules, because you are the low man on the totem pole, is coffee. Now, do you guys understand the concept of coffee? You get to drink it. You get to even take it out sometimes to the nurse's station. They don't see you with it. In our hospital, anyway. But when the last cup's gone, if you took it, what do you do? Thank you very much. You make the next pot. Now, sometimes we forget to tell our new people that. So when they don't make the next pot, we talk about it Did you see her? She, went, she took the last cup of coffee didn't make any more. Well, the poor thing didn't know. So these are the hidden rules we have to tell them. Also, are your computers lined up at the nurse's station? And there's the one that's right there where you can see who's going down both halls. That's not yours. That is not the new nurse computer. You have to work here at least 15 years to gain that computer. Don't even try to sit near it. Go back up. The one that faces the wall in the back, you have nothing to see but brick. That's your computer. Somebody needs to tell you that right up front so you don't tick off those old nurses. Because nurses, once ticked off, takes you forever to get back in their good graces. The other thing is the potluck. Now, in our facility, we celebrate everything. We celebrate when somebody's getting married, when somebody's having a baby, when somebody's son got a touchdown. I mean, we celebrate everything with food. Hence, look at me. This is going to straw. (laughs) Exactly. So, if there is a potluck and you don't remember to bring anything, what happens? You don't bring, you don't eat. Got it? Now, you might be going through something big in your life and you forgot to bring something, and somebody might be polite enough to say, oh, come join us. Well, you better make sure everybody's (laughs) saying that and join them. But this is where I tell how to bring the best dip there is, and people think you actually made homemade. You get a bag of Tostitos, okay? Get a block of cream cheese, a jar of salsa. You put the cream cheese in a dish, you pour the salsa on top, you take it in, and you've made homemade dip. People think you're amazing. So when there's a potluck, if you're a new nurse, bring something or don't eat. Now then, I went around, and when I was doing the residency program, I asked all the other new grannies. What didn't they tell you? What do you wish you knew that you know now? So I talked with Doug Watts. He was one of my favorite residents, smart cooking. <clears throat> so what didn't he know? He didn't know about PACE and paperwork. So you're in school, you have a patient. By the end of your time, you've worked up with three patients. And those three patients, you get to do for those patients exactly what you have time for. And if it doesn't get done, the nurse assigned to that patient will pick that up. Now you're out in the real world and you have five patients and nobody picking up behind you. The pace is different. The pace does not slow down. But hang on. The things that took you ages to figure out before will come like that. It's no big deal. The first IV, you remember you stand there and you think, what do I need for an IV? What do I need for an IV? I need the tape. I need the covering. We always have to put a or something on top so we can see through to see the site, right? Hey, you think of all that. The next time, when you've been a nurse for a year, you go to start an ID, you don't even think. You grab and you go. You've got it all there. So the pace is different, but you will catch up with the pace. The paperwork is huge. The paperwork will continue to be even bigger. We're talking about more documentation in order to get paid by the government. The government is now saying that whatever you didn't write down, you didn't do. So all those nursing things that we do automatically, unless they're documented, you're not even getting paid for. So paperwork's going to get worse. Good thing about it, it's all online. Are you guys all online? Has everybody got electronic medical records? Yeah, yeah, that makes life easier. You got the checkbox ones? Oh, no, check, check, <laughs> check. Except when you get check, check, check in and you realize that you know you didn't check those fetal pulses that you just checked that you checked. Yeah. So paperwork is going to get worse, but we're all doing that. And then Doug, Doug said he had this idea that since he came on board at nights, he wouldn't have any admits or discharges. Mm-hmm. So when he was studying frantically to be a nurse, he didn't even check in on those because he wasn't going to do those at night. That was a rude awakening for him, that we discharge people. We have discharged people at 2 a.m. <clears throat> because the paperwork is finally done, and their family finally got here to pick them up. So we have gotten that kind of paperwork. So you have to know how to do those discharges and admits. So if you're still in school or still around, pay attention to those. I never learned how to do a discharge my entire time in school. So what did this do? April, love April. She went right to orthopedic. And she is Loves it. She wants a real world nursing class. I would love to teach it. It's not fun. She wants you to know about staffing. Now when you're a student nurse, there's always adequate staff. You know why? You're the extra person. You're out there helping the nurse. You're the extra person. But when you get there, like on our orthopedic ward, the nurse-to-patient ratio is 5 to 6 to 1. Okay. In the real world, she only had three. She did not know there were guidelines. So she says one day to me, she says, I've got seven patients. I've got seven patients. I said, how many patients are on the floor? And she said that there were six. No. Was it 18? It was one over. Anyway, every nurse had six patients, and then they had one extra patient. Are they going to call in another nurse for that one patient? Absolutely not. That is not cost-effective. So sometime in your life, you're going to carry a patient over that nurse-patient ratio. You have to realize that there are standards and guidelines, and we're not going to change those because then we lose money. And if we lose money in the big picture, what happens? Yeah, little hospitals are being swallowed up because they're losing money. So, we'd keep our job, we have to. And then, turnover. April was thrilled with the people she came on board with. She liked them, they liked her, they helped her through. It was really good. And then they all went someplace else because nurses tend to do that. They come on board, they learn something new. After six, seven years, they get a little bored, they go on to the next job, something different. That's okay stay in nursing. That's a good thing. If I had my career to do over, Deb, don't listen to this. If I had my career to do over, I would not stay in the OR as long as I did. Because the last two years in the OR, I was burned out. I was ready for something new. But then again, it was 20-some years before I burned out. So it depends on what department you're in and how things are going. But it's okay to change jobs. And then approaching physicians are they scary are you guys as new nurses afraid of physicians yeah see i was too and i went into the OR we have to deal with the surgeons they're worse than a regular gp any day right physicians you need to learn to deal with them Mm -hmm. one thing i can tell you about dealing with physicians is never ever ever call a doctor about a condition of your patient without talking to another nurse talk to another nurse say would you call him on this what do you think Because sometimes there's women and men out there with the skills to know, hey, we can handle this on our own. Or yeah, call the doctor. The other thing you never call the doctor with that is current vital signs. Do not have the vital signs from an hour and a half ago when you call a physician. Have the vital signs that you just walked out of the room with or your nurse aide just walked out of the room with. So that when you're calling, you are ready. have your ducks in a row. Then you don't have to be afraid. Now. When I was a nurse resident, I was with a resident who was calling on the phone to a physician because we had a problem with blood pressure. And this is the physician. He gave the order. He was very nice. And she did what? What do you do when you're given an order on the phone? You write it down and you read it back. That is one of the laws out there. So being the diligent little resident, she's writing it down and she's reading it back. And he's saying, do I hear an echo out there? Is there something going on out there? I snatched that phone away from her, and I said, doctor. Hi, this is easy. Dead silence on the end. I'm known for speaking what I want to talk about. And I said, do you realize by reading back what she's written down, she's covering your license and hers and mine? Dead silence. Then finally I got, sorry, easy, okay. Right. Do what's right, no matter if they're going to come back at you or not. And then Sarah, Sarah says you don't need to know it all. Sarah came upon this. She had a patient who was going to have an emergency gallbladder surgery. The patient was nursing her baby. The patient said, when can I nurse my baby again after the surgery? Sarah didn't know. But she knew we have an OB department. So she called OB. Not only do we have OB, but we have a nurse that's whole job is helping my mother's nursing. In fact, we have a crew of them. So she called in did they come and talk to the patient, but she found her answer. You don't have to know it all. You just have to know who to ask. By the way, the answer to that is as long as she wakes up and is strong enough to hold her baby, she can start nursing. None of the anesthesia gases pass in the breast milk. And what do old nurses know what to be? Now we need to talk about what an old nurse is. I'm an old nurse, but it has nothing to do with age. You can be a young, an old nurse at a very young age. An old nurse is one who is recognized with having the authority and knowledge. When I worked OR, I was a new nurse. And I'd been there maybe a year and a half when one of our physicians will only work with old nurses. He thinks that if you're young, if you're new, you don't know anything. So one day, I was in the room and he finally said, I'm glad I got you. I finally got an old nurse today. And I thought, Oh my gosh, a year and a half, and I made it to old nurse. So it depends on what department you're and what knowledge you need that you can be an old nurse. So I ask old nurses, what do you want the new nurses to know? And this came from Kathy. And look how long Kathy retired last year at 50 years. Is that not incredible? And this is what she wants you to know. Listen to your patients and family. We live in an area where we have a large German community up north of us called Perryville. And uh, if you know anything about German women, They are tough. They are tough. They know what they're doing and they can handle it. So, anyway, this older woman came in and she was admitted directly from the doctor's office with anxiety. Her whole family was saying, Mom is never anxious. We don't know what's going on, but there's something wrong here. And mom was saying, I don't know what's going on with me. I am so anxious, I can hardly breathe. But she was breathing okay. And the doctor sent her in. He said, Give her some sleeping pills, put her to bed. She'll be fine. Well, Kathy went in and talked with her, and after she talked with her and she talked with the daughter, she's like, there's something wrong here. I can't put my finger on it, but I just don't feel like sleeping pills and putting her to bed is going to help with this anxiety. So she called the doctor back, and she explained what she said. I don't think this is the right thing to do. I, I just feel very uncomfortable with this. And what did he say? Give her the sleeping pills and put her to bed. Exactly. Well, Kathy went back, and she even drugged, got the sleeping pills on the of fixes, but she went back, and she was like, can't put my finger on it. Everything seems okay, but there's something wrong. So she goes back, and she calls the doctor again. Brave woman. Brave woman. And he said, okay, Kathy, to satisfy you, as soon as office hours are over, I will come and re-examine her. Okay. So he comes in. Talks to the woman, talks to the family, re-examines her, goes back out to Kathy and says, move her to the unit. And Kathy's like, okay, I know there's something wrong, but I know there's anything that wrong. He said, I don't know what it is, but there's something going on. In the middle of the night, the woman's symptoms of Guillain-Barre intensified so much she could no longer breathe and had to be on the ventilator. Now, if they had given her the sleeping pill and put it in her to bed, what would have happened to that lady? Because during the night, sometimes we only check on our patient once an hour. Mm -hmm. What would have happened there? But Kathy still fired guns. (coughs) The woman recovered 100%. It is awesome. And Ginger. Ginger was one of my best friends. She actually worked with the residency and extern program with me. She was an OB nurse forever. And this is what she wants you to know. Treat your patients with respect. She said she discovered that she had a problem. She said, when I would get young ladies in that were popping out baby after baby and staying on Medicare, she said, I realized it started bothering me in my head that I didn't like it. And then she said, then my fear became, am I treating these people differently because I don't like the lifestyle they're living? So Ginger had to back up and say, okay, I've got to make a change here. I've got to decide. So what she did is she has learned to read the entire chart without looking at who's paying for it. She has no idea who's paying for it. And she said, and "The first thing I do is I get them out of their clothes and into a gown, because then everybody looks the same to me." She said, "In that way, I could treat every patient with respect they deserve." She said, "They didn't have the problem; I had the problem." So, if you find yourself doing that, find the way, like Ginger did, around it, so that you can treat each one of your patients with the respect they deserve. And no judgment. has
0: fractured They
2: can be able to go
0: that's going to be so exciting.
1: That killed him. <laughs> oh, don't judge too quickly. We really don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on in somebody's background. We don't know what they're going through. So we can't judge our patients. We have to treat everyone with the total respect that they deserve as a person like that. I love these videos. Know what's going on in people's worlds we don't we're only seeing a snapshot we're not seeing the whole picture of what's happening just like these were hilarious but we really don't know what's happening and we don't know what's happening in our co-workers worlds when i was in the or i worked in neuro i've worked in everything but i worked in neuro and i was scheduled to help with a clipping of an aneurysm if you own our people know that's a big case that's a stressful case. That's everybody holds their breath, breath, and they've got six units of blood on hold for you. So it's a big deal. I loved it. It was really fun. And I knew the surgeons, that so they always let me get up to the microscope and look at the aneurysm. It's like, yes, you know, i look at somebody's brain and see it's about to pop. I love it. Well, one day I had just gotten a phone call, and my mother was ill, and she was worse. So I go into work, and I'm scheduled for the aneurysm. Today of all days, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It was too big. It was too much. So another nurse who knew my situation offered to trade with me. So we made the trade. We were both capable of the cases that we traded. I just got the lighter load that day. The nurse manager came to us and said, you didn't have permission to trade. I want you back on that case. I want you back on that case. And at that point, I burst into tears. Because there are some things going on in people's world and you don't know. So we have to give everybody the benefit of a doubt. So new nurses, when those old nurses snap at you, sometimes it's not you at all. It's not you at all. It's something going on in their world. So what else do old nurses want you to know? Jenny is a who, and she wants you to know you can still do CNA work. Personally, I became a nurse so I didn't have to do CNA work, but if but it's my patient, oh, I want them comfortable. I want them to have the treatment they deserve, so I can jump in there and I can do CNA, CNA work. I'll tell you one thing though, if it involves poop, I will be probably gagging while I'm doing that. <laughs> I know, I'm a nurse, you should think I'm good at poop, but I'm just not good at poop. So how did I make it through nursing school, right? Because there's a lot of poop in nursing school. Well, I was good in anatomy and physiology and chemistry, so I tutored. So I would tutor my friends for bedpans. So if I had a bad it's like, hey, mm-hmm, over here, take care of it. No problem. Made it through nursing. One of the reasons I chose OR is because there's no poop in there. Really, they clean them out. Before surgery, if you're going to do something on the body, you clean them out. And I learned teamwork is actual work. I love this definition of teamwork. It's a group of people who go out of their way to make each other look good. That is so important. So I'm going to tell you how I failed. I was working in the OR, and if you're in the OR and you're in the case that's going to last over lunch, if you're in a room with a surgeon that people like, and you're somebody people like, people just come in and give you lunch. It's nice. If you're in a room that nobody likes a surgeon, or perhaps they don't like you, then lunch is assigned. So you'll find their name at an angle over your room saying they have to go get lunch. Well, I was angled over a room with a surgeon I didn't like, and with a nurse I didn't really get along with. So I go into that room and worse yet, she is a Rubbermaid nurse. That's one of the worst things to me in the OR. Now Rubbermaid is, you know a Rubbermaid tote. Well in the OR you have extras. So all the extra suture, the extra instruments, all the you might need stuff is in the Rubbermaid tote. She takes hers in and pops it on the counter and there it sits. I would never do that. I would take it out and I would line up the suture so it was 0, 2, 0, it was beautiful. All my stuff is a work of art. But I'm getting lunch in a Rubbermaid room. So I go in there in the search and ask for something. I look at her tote. There it is. I have my hand on it, and this is what I said. I'll get it for you if I can find where she put it. Right then, it was like a slap in the face. What am I doing? What am I doing? She had all the stuff. She had it where it should be. I could find it, but I was making her look bad. And that's when I was slapped with this definition. I had just read it a few days before. I wasn't making her look good. And that hit me in a second, so it was kind of like, oh, she's got it right here. <laughs> try to make up for it, you know? But wow, what is the definition of a teen? And the sad thing about nurses, there are still nurses out there who try to make you look bad so they look good. That's not how it should be. So, who's it up to change? You guys, you guys can do it. The new nurses, ones that change the culture and the attitude and what's happening out there. We're counting on you. You can do it.
2: We had uh, planned to bring you a story tonight about a kind of prep school that prepares football players for the NFL draft and big contracts. But we're going to call it all over. We're going to switch sports tonight because we run across an absolutely amazing basketball player that we want you to see. Here's Steve Hart, Chris Athena High School in Rochester, New York. Has a new, most unlikely hero, a special ed student by the name of Jason McElwain. Jason is the basketball team manager. For the past couple of years, he's been assisting coach Jim Johns, helping with whatever the team needs. Enthusiastic, to say the least. Despite being born with autism, Jason's father says his son has never had a problem expressing himself at basketball games. You know, I was always concerned that he might get a technical in a game because he, you know, started yelling or whatever. Let's have a hard part is all hour and a half. Let's give him opportunity. Let's go. One, let two, three, three two. Because he has been so devoted to the team, for the last game of the season, Coach Johnson decided to let Jason actually suit up. Not to play necessarily, just to let him feel what it's like to wear a jersey. At least, that was the plan. But with four minutes to go in last week's game, Coach Johnson stood up and pointed to number 52. Jason McGellway. After years of fetching water and toweling off other people's swims, Jason was actually in a game. His first shot was a 20-footer from the right baseline. Was it close? Did, Did you it almost? Miss? I just airballed it. i just <laughs> I'd like, just dear God, please, let's just get him a basket. His second shot missed two, but the third was a charm. A three-point no-doubter. Jason wasn't done yet. Not by a long shot. If I wasn't there to witness it, I wouldn't have lived it, you know? <laughs> you caught fire. I just caught fire. I was hot as a pistol. Jason <laughs> ended up shooting six three-pointers. <laughs> one right after the other. He had 20 points total. And each time a shot went in, his teammates and the crowd went a little crazier. His last basket, right at the buzzer. Created total man Because he is autistic, Jason says he's used to feeling different, but never this different. Never this wonderful. Steve Hartman, CBS News, Rochester, New York.
1: Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? I just love it. But what happened? He shot two baskets. What happened? His teammates kept feeding it to him. That's what you have to do. When we keep messing up, when we keep you have to keep feeding the ball to us because we've got to be able to learn to do it. And he was amazing. The other thing I want to notice here is the teammates. Now, when something happens to somebody else and it's not good, we had one of our nurses' husband die. We rallied. We rallied. We brought meals. We were there for her. We were the first ones to drag her out and tell her she has to keep on living. We're good. But then when something good happens to somebody, what do we do? I had a nurse, good friend who lost 50 pounds. Did I cheer her on? Are you kidding me? I was so jealous I couldn't stand it. I could hardly talk to her. When good things happen, do we cheer the people on? When I got my bachelor's degree, I was associate degree nurse for 15 years. You don't need to wait that long, guys, to go on to the next degree. But I was 15 years before I got my bachelor's degree. It was hard for me. I had lots of kids. I got it. It was a good time for me. In my OR, only one nurse congratulated me. Why? Because they were jealous, too. So we've got to remember to step back and cheer for the successes. And not get jealous of one another. So what other do old grads want you to know? Christy, cardiac progressive, nursing isn't always we buy but the bulk. There are rules, and I mean there are policies, and policies are good things, really good things. But sometimes they can't be rough. all right. So let me tell you a story. In our hospital, we have externs. I manage that program along with the residency program. The externs are in their senior year of nursing. They come and they work under the direction of an RN, and they get to learn everything. So when they graduate, they hit the ground running. Every extern we've graduated has gotten a job at our facility because it's awesome. It's a great program. Very competitive to get into. We will have 60 applications for 15 positions. So it is very competitive. So we had a young extern, and she was working with Christy, and Christy's a great nurse to work with. Anyway, the extern bounces up there. She (coughs) noticed that the 9 o'clock vitamin had not been given. So she bounces up to Christy and she says, I see that you missed the 9 o'clock vitamin. Should I write that up for you? And she's just trying to follow the rules, right? Because you have an hour before and an hour after and Christy missed the 9 o'clock vitamin. And Christy just shook her head and said, You know, nursing isn't always by the rules. By the way, this patient always takes her vitamin with her lunch. I thought maybe we'd do that for her. Oh, yeah. So sometimes you get to break the rules, but you got to be careful about that and make sure the rules worth breaking. Giving a patient their vitamin at noon makes them feel comfortable and at home. Let's give it to them. You don't have to be by the rules. And then what else do old nurses want you to know Jenny? Those patients like to set your expectations. They come in and they have this big thing in their head. But one thing, when you're sick, how many people are in your world? Have you ever been really, really sick? Hospitalized sick? I have. How many people in my world? Me. That's it. I'm it. I'm the center. That's how every one of your patients are, because they're in the world. So you've got to bring them to their expectations. You know how you get a happy patient? You set their expectations, and then you exceed them. Then you have a happy patient. So the doctor waltzes in at 630, and he says, you can go home today. Patient's like, yeah, I'm going to be out of here by 7, right? That's not happening. This is shift change, for one thing, so that's not going to happen. So you're the nurse coming on board with this patient who knows he's going home. You don't have time. For one thing, you've got to do all the patient teaching, fill out all the paperwork, make sure he's got his appointment set up, get his scripts out. You've got too much to do to get that patient out by 7. Besides, you've got four other patients. So what you do is you pop your head in the room and you say, Hey, I see you're going home today. I am so excited for you. Just want to give you a heads up that I've got a lot of things I have to do to get your paperwork and to get you ready to go because I want you out of here safely and knowing how to take care of yourself. So it's going to take me a bit, and I've got a couple other patients too. So I really think I can get you out of here by 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Okay, you've left. You get that guy out by 10, he thinks you're Wonder Woman. So set your patient's expectations so that you can meet them. Otherwise, they're going to be setting their own and they're too on. Because they're living in their own little world of me, I'm sick. So this is what I want you to know. You're going to screw up. You're going to make mistakes. I don't want to lose you over your mistakes. I don't want to lose any new nurse because she screwed up. Because we're going to. Let me tell you my first mistake. I managed to be a nurse for a year and a half before I screwed up big time. From what? I was working in surgery, we had a patient coming in for a skull biopsy, um, a lesion in the skull bone itself, which is really strange anyway. The surgeon had taken the patient's hat scan, had marked it with a skin marker, (coughs) shaved around it, and marked it. I was such an old nurse that I had a new nurse I was training. That's how good I am. So we have the patient on the table. They're asleep. Everything's going good. I'm teaching this new nurse how to do appropriate scrub. You start at the site, you do a circular motion, you work to the outside, you get rid of that, you go back in at the site with a new, fresh clean and work out. And we did that so well, we scrubbed off a mark. Surgeon come. This is a specific biopsy. Okay, can't see the lesion with, a, with just a C arm, so we can't move that in our room. So our options are wake up the patient take them to CAT scan, remark the lesion, bring them back to surgery. Oh, my. Or we take the sleeping patient to CAT scan. Now, when that option was brought up, the CRNA in the room looked panic-stricken. Have you taken a patient on a ventilator through the hallways to another department? <laughs> yeah. It's not fun. It's not fun. And I was starting with the tears. And the neurosurgeon came over to me, Dr. Kim, and he put his arm around me, which is really strange, because he never put his arm around anybody, and he said, easy, this your worst mistake, we're okay. And I was like, thank God, because I was on the verge of quitting life totally here, getting out of the OR. because if I can't even handle a skull biopsy, I shouldn't be here, right? And that made the world of difference.
0: So if you make a
1: mistake, it's not the end of the world. You will not. You will learn from it, and you will belong, and you will do well. So don't let anybody look at you with disgust. To me, I was like, well, I will never do surgery on a wrong limb. Now, that's just ridiculous. Why do they even say you have to mark limbs nowadays? How do you mess up and do surgery on the wrong limb? Well, it wasn't me, but it was a good friend who is just a probably better nurse than me who let it happen in her room. That's why we had the new rules about marking the site. And it was all little things that fell in together that happened. One thing is, when you move the patient over onto the OR table, we have a leg holder. And if you're getting ready to do a knee, like a knee scope that she was ready to do, we got a new leg holder that we put on the bed, put the patient's ankle in it, and then we can scrub the leg. Okay? Perfect. But it had to be on this side of the bed because we're moving the patient over off a cart, even though we were going to do that leg. Well, they moved the patient over didn't get changed. The leg holder didn't go to the other side. The orthopedic assistant came in. He wasn't the regular orthopedic assistant. He was the son of a surgeon who got to work summers as an orthopedic assistant. You will learn that this will drive you crazy, but you will teach them as well as you can because they're going to come back as physicians, which this one did. Anyway, he came right in, saw the leg holder, pops the leg up, and puts a tourniquet on it. It's all in place, so the nurse scrubs the knee. We go on, scope goes in, just as scope goes in, they do timeout, just as the scope goes in, they do the timeout. Now, if you're not VOR, let me tell you, when does the timeout get done? Before the incision, not just as the scope goes in, that's when they realize it's the wrong way. Well, the physician already had scope in, so he looked around, there happened to be a little tear of the meniscus, so we shaved it up, and got out of there. So then he goes out to family, and he owns up, and he says, we did the wrong knee he said now this had a small tear we would not have done this but since i was there i fixed the tear here's your options we can take him wake him up take him home either bring him back and we'll do the correct knee or we can do the correct knee so family decided to do the correct knee because the surgeon owned up because everybody owned up nothing ever came of it now i'm sure the hospital paid for that surgery the family did but there were no repercussions because everybody was on so when you make a mistake, be honest. Be honest. Now, I went and became a float nurse after I left the OR for about a year before I went into education. Now as a float nurse, you go everywhere, you do everything, and it was fun. You know why it was fun? The patients are awake and they actually talk to you and say, "Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do that in surgery. Obviously <laughs> well, not, we hope not. <laughs> but my first mistake out there was I was giving um, a, I was doing a favor and the nurse was going to give blood on a patient. When you give blood on a patient, you almost always get Benadryl and Tylenol in advance, kind of, you know, prophylactically. She said, I'm in a rush. Can you run this down and give it to my patient? I'm helpful.
2: I ran down, (laughs) gave
1: it to the roommate. (laughs) Yeah. So the first thing I do is I have to call the doctor. So I called the doctor and I said, I just gave uh, your patient, the roommate, Tylenol and Benadryl. And he said, oh, good, they'll both sleep through the, Transfusion, it won't be an issue. So it was not a problem. But what a problem it would have been if I didn't own up, and the physician found out that somebody gave my patient the wrong medicine. You will make mistakes, but don't be the victim in your mistakes. You will survive. Learn from. And from work to school, I know you probably haven't noticed this, but there's a little bit of stress. I know. You think you've kind of got it made. Somebody's going to pay you to do the stuff you've learned, and now those patients are your responsibility. That's a little bit of stress. Plus, you're learning how to get there and do 12 hours all day and everything. There's a lot of stress. So, what what is the stress response? I'm not even going to go through this, because you guys know it, except we're going to stop at the next one, because I hate it. Cortisol, I hate cortisol. Cortisol is that hormone that says every calorie I put into the mouth will go immediately to your belly and your hips, and I will stay there forever. That's what cortisol does. So if you're stressed out all the time, then you gain weight. Then you get more stressed out. Then you gain more weight. It's not right. And it's not right that if you have a skin condition, like acne, that stress makes it worse. Well, what's that going to do? Stress you out to make it worse. This is crazy. And asthma attacks. So I want you to know that psychological stresses are just as bad as if they were actually chasing you. So there are things going on out there that make your body react the same way. So this research study was done at St. Mary's Hospital. I'm not really sure why it works, but they show. I'm going to show you a picture of two identical dolphins. If you see differences in this dolphin, then you might need a vacation. It's a little bit stressful, and I don't know exactly why it works, but here you go. <laughs> now, I see dolphins. I'm fine. I'm on vacation. <laughs> but the point is, yes, we are all under stress. You are working here taking care of people, and you are making such differences in their lives. You don't want to make mistakes. That causes stress itself. And then, of course, there's that white coat stress. People come into the hospital, and the minute they see a white coat, their blood pressure goes up. Well, you see them all day. No wonder your blood pressure's crazy. <laughs> so, what are you going to do? You've got to learn to handle your stress. When I first saw this picture, I thought, poor kitty. And then I got mad. Who's the photographer? Why is he not helping this kitty out? Standing there and taking a picture of your stress is to know your stuff, and that is to know your policies and procedures. That is why they are written. When you're getting ready to do anything for the first time, or the second or the third, look it up. It will be written down because every institution has it. So if you're getting ready to change a central line dressing, look up and see what the policy says and do it right. It'll lower your stress. And somewhere there is a policy on how much weight to put on a donkey cup. Now, whoever loaded that cart did not read that policy. Read your policies. And learn to say, I don't know. Now, the minute your family realized you were going to nursing school, you became the authority. You know it all. How many phone calls do you get? Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, you cannot diagnose a rash over the phone. They can tell you it's red and it's bumpy and everything else. It's not going to help. Learn to say, I don't know. But when you're saying that to a patient, what are you following up with? I'll find out. Thank you for answering. Yes. If you don't know, you'll find out. With your family, you say, I don't know. See a doctor. <laughs> I mean, eventually you have to say that. And then you have to have code words. Now, I know all the surgeons in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And so if somebody's going to a surgeon that I really like, I say, oh, great surgeon. Good pick. And if somebody's going to a surgeon I don't like, what do you say? You can't say anything bad. You could be in trouble. So you say. Have you considered a second opinion? That's our code word. That's our code in our family, meaning, okay, look elsewhere, guys. Mm-hmm. And then they'll start going over a list of, oh, well, and then we'll get to the people we like. It works. So learn to say, I don't know, and yawn. I used to get ticked off when I would stand up here, give it a presentation, and people were yawning. Apollo Ono changed my mind. He's getting ready to win of on one of the biggest speed races. And what's he doing? Smart guy, he's teaching his body that it's okay. It's like you can take a nap, we have this under control. Yeah, so now when I'm up here and people are yawning, I'm like, Yeah, they're learning, I know they're learning, it's good. So, yawn sometimes. Your body just needs to know, Okay, it's okay, it's okay, and get more sleep. They used to tell us we need seven to eight hours of sleep a night, they've changed that. They say we need eight to nine hours of sleep a night, eight to nine. When's the last time you guys got more than six? Exactly, exactly. But if you really want to combat the stress, you've got to get more sleep. And that might mean you have to give up Grey's Anatomy, or you might have to DVD it and see it later. And celebrate. This is one of my granddaughters. I have three new granddaughters this year. And this is Sadie. And Sadie is learning to walk in her walker. And when she would take five steps, her mom would go, ta-da! So Sadie would go like this back. So now Sadie can't walk without doing this. (laughs) She celebrates every little step. It's hilarious. So new nurses, do you have your IV dance in your head? You know that touchdown dance? Okay, I've got mine in my head. Every time I do a successful IV start, I do my touchdown dance in my head. Because we have to celebrate the little successes. And that's what's going to lower our stress and make us happy people. So figure out, get your little dance in your head, and every time you're successful, celebrate. Pat yourself on the back. Good job. And spend time with family. I told you I had three granddaughters. These are the twins. And and the little peas in a potter, they cute. Allison and Abigail. There is nothing more precious in my life than those three new grandbabies. And I know that. But you know what? Your nurse manager doesn't know that. She thinks your life is your work. Get uh, over you know, it, it's not. So managers just ignore that, but it's true. You go to work so you can be with family, so that you can enjoy the people you want to be with. I, I'll have to take them off the screen now, I could leave them up there forever, are they sweet? And eat better. This poor kitty, she didn't get enough sleep either. I like this exercise, Mom, and this is so true. If you can't read it, it says, unfortunately, I have one pair of running shoes and 16 pairs of eating shoes. That is so true. I have eating shoes right now. So, exactly. And have realistic expectations. Sometimes we go to work and we think it's going to be so much fun. But you know, that's why they created the word work, because it isn't always fun. But sometimes there are rainbow days, those are perfect, perfect days. It was one day that is so clear in my head. I was working in urology. I was doing cysto after cysto, ureteroscope after ureteroscope. We were yanking out stones right and left. And it wasn't so much the day; it was the people I was working with. I was working with Susie, of the CRNA. Susie is fun. What she likes to do is have polls, and she will have different polls going on all the time. My favorite poll of hers is the toilet paper poll. She will ask everybody, "What do you do with your toilet paper?" Either a folder or a buncher? <laughs> and she has discovered people's personalities on whether they're folders or bunchers. Think about it. Those bunchers, they have, they're risk takers. They're out there living a life. Those folders, they're ducks are in a row. They're the ones that plan their vacations two years in advance. You know, they got it going. They got it going. So it's so much fun. And I was working with Dr. John Hall, a urologist. Uh, urologists, in case you don't know, they're just little boys who have never grown up. They get to play with penises all day long, and that's all little boys ever wanted to do. So it is fun working with John Hall. He had the best jokes there are. Plus, he would sneak stuff from the doctor's lounge and bring it in for us to eat, because we didn't even get lunch that day. But I remember walking out of work that day thinking, I've had so much fun, I should pay them to let me work here. But then there were so many days when I walk out of work thinking, they don't pay me near enough for this i have got to go back to those rainbow days and remember why you're here, how much fun it was, what you made this decision for. You could be doing that. To me, that is a nightmare. Can you imagine being a telemarketer? And not only that, I don't see how they get out. Do they all have to get up at once to go pee? <laughs> and I told you I don't do poop. Well, I don't do poop that size. And keep your sense of humor. And this is one of my favorite O.R. stories because it changed my mind. I don't do poop, you know that. But on Sunday mornings, you don't have an option. I was called in, we had a bowel obstruction, they believed it was cancer, so I went in to do this case. The whole time I'm driving there, I'm thinking, there's poop in there, I know there's poop in there. And I got there and sure enough, there's poop in there. Surgeon looked at me, he said, Hey, see, I want a picture of that, of the colon. Nice picture. And he looked back and he says, no, I want a picture of the inside of the colon where the cancer is. Well, it's Sunday morning. Normally I would call a pathologist, pass this off to him to take care of it. He can't do that on Sunday mornings. So I knew what I was going to have to do. I got the gown on. I got goggles on. I'm ready. I go off to the hopper, and I have my colon, and I've got it laying in the hopper, and I take those clamps off. Oh, my. The poop was a roller. It was bad. And I finally get to the point where I'm starting to cut a pair of scissors to open up the colon. And it was so bad, I automatically hit the flusher. And that's when I noticed that the little steel grate in the bottom that's going to protect my specimen was gone. I grabbed my colon, and it's going and it's sucking it down. And I puked in my mask. So then what do you do? You got poop on your hands, you got puke in your mask. If I stand up, I'm going to have puke all over my face. I can't untie my mask because I got poop in my hands. (laughs) <laughs> and that's when it occurs to me, I'll laugh about this later. And right then, I made a decision that's changed my life. I decided to laugh about it now. So I got the giggles. <laughs> and when I'm stressed out and I'm giggling, I can't stop. No control at all. So I get all cleaned up. I chose to uh, let the puke go to the face, rub off the face, no makeup. It's okay. So I go back in the OR, and I'm taking pictures. I am not is like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the surgeon finds, you children easy? Is this funny? Cancer's funny? So today it is. <laughs> today it is. So I made that decision. Two weeks later, it came to haunt me. Youngest son, new Berber carpet in the family room, grape juice. No matter how much you scrub, no matter how much he scrubs, that grape juice is not coming up. And it was ticking me off because i see it every time I walk near the family room. And I decided I had to do something. I had to do something so I could laugh about it. So I took a magic marker. I outlined it. I dated it and put his initials on it. <laughs> so every time I walked by that stain, it's like, yeah, that's a ducky stain. <laughs> pretty soon, my daughter had a sleepover. Nacho cheese sauce. You can get up the sauce stuff. That orange doesn't come off. So we circled it and dated it. Spring had her own. Pretty soon, Ty had a cross-country meat, and we had the pasta dinner before the meat. Marinara sauce. It's there for life. Circled it. And so we had these stained carpet, and the kids were giving tours of our family room. <laughs> Remember that one? That was that sleepover, that one. So finally, I get enough money to replace the carpet, and the kids were like, "Well, can't we keep our stain?" And I'm like, "No, we're not keeping the stains." But it changed my life. So I do laugh at it. So when you're ready, and you have that that thought that I'm going to cry or laugh, laugh. Go for it, and stay grateful. I'm married to a half empty guy. If you haven't told by now, I'm, I'm a half full person. He's just thankful he has a glass now. He doesn't care if it's empty or full. But these things all happen when you're grateful. And I gotta get going. Take time for friends, we're moving right along because I have one more good story. Oh, I have two good stories. This one is choosing your battles as a nurse. When you are a nurse, you have to decide what's important to fight and what's not. I was working with a nurse, um, she was a surgical tech, but she was a nurse wannabe. You nurses out on the floor, you know what I'm talking about? You've got nurse aides who are nurse wannabes. They want your job, they want your authority, but they don't want to spend the time and money to get where you're at and energy. So I'm working with this nurse wannabe, and we fought all the time, and we fight over stupid stuff. Like if I opened an extra pair of laps because we needed some laps, so I'd open a set, she would do everything on Earth to not use them. Especially, she'd even wash up afterwards with towels instead of the laps, just not to use them. So she could say, oh, we wasted these. Ugh. Or she would ask for something like Wex Spears and I'd say, ah, oh, let's wait, we may not need them. So she would whisper to the surgeon, don't you think Wex Spears would be nice here?
0: So I had to open
1: a war. So I was a war. So I get called on a Friday night for a woman who's put her hand into a shredded wheat shredder. That means, think about this, there is skin and blood somewhere in somebody's shredded wheat. But we're not <laughs> gonna go there. So I get called out and I'm working with the nurse wannabe and I made up my mind that this was not gonna be a miserable case. I was going to have fun tonight because I was too tired to fight. So I decided she's going to rule the world. Whatever she asked for, I'm giving it to her. I'm not going to fight over anything. So we went in the case. We did the case. Gave her everything she wanted. By the way, this is not near as bad as it looks. Um, took a couple staples on the bigger wounds. The rest of it that looks like railroad tracks, we just irrigated and it did heal up nicely because those shredded wheat shredders are like scalpels. They cut very nice. So she did just fine. We're in the locker room, we're getting ready to go, and that nurse wannabe looks at me and she says, that was fun. It was. It was fun. When I chose not to fight that rule, it was fun. So if you can let somebody else think that they're the authority, as long as you know what's going on, life's good. Let it do. And remember that life is precious. I'm going to leave you with this story. Um, what is this? but no there's a big toe there and what you can't see on that big toe is pink fingernail polish this is a suicide attempt yes this is a girl who was while she was trying to turn the shotgun around to shoot off her head she shot off her foot but that's not the amazing part of the suicide attempt the amazing part is you know when you get into surgery you can't cut anything off if there's hope of saving it you can't cut anything off is this foot going to make it But we're going to save it. So we cleaned it up. We did all kinds of things. And we took her to recovery room. And when she woke up, her first words were, thank God I'm alive. Thank God I'm It's Like, yeah. Yeah, thank God you're alive. And of course, within a few days, we had to bring her back and cut off her toes because they'd gone black. So we cut off her toes. We go to recovery room. She wakes up. First thing she says is, thank God I'm alive. Thank God I'm alive." Yeah, thank God you're alive. Well, of course, then we had to bring her back cut off the midfoot, get to recovery room. She says, thank God, I'm alive. Finally, we bring her back to amputate the foot. Yes, we should have done it in the first place, but no, we're trying to save So we amputated her foot. We her in to recovery room. By then, we're all standing around the bed waiting for her. She wakes up, and she says, thank God I'm alive. What I want you to do is thank God you're alive before you have to shoot off your foot to figure it out. Thank God you're alive. And be grateful for every day. Have something to do that's fun every day. And that's where we're going to end it because we're out of time. But thank you very much. I am so sorry we ran out of time, and I'm (laughs) glad you came to (laughs) listen.